Marini's Media. Totally football show. Today, FA Cup. Liverpool no longer on fire, get put out by Chelsea. Norwich see off Spurs on penalties, with Parrott seeing his spot kick saved. How sick must he have felt? We round up all the midweek thrills. Away the lads go travelling with the Toon Army and have a nice look forward to all the weekend's action. Hello, Manchester Derby. All that and more in the Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. Hello, listener. Uh, on board with uh, with you and, and me today, uh, we have Natalie Jedra of ESPN Brazil. Bon dia. Bon dia to you, Natalie. Also here, Lindsay Hooper. Hello, oh, I'm on board. Hello. You just got off board a train with people oh, being violently ill on it. Someone was sick on my carriage and now I'm just paranoid that I have a stench of puke. <laughs> at least there's nothing uh, sketchy about that at the moment. Yeah. Right. That's the sweet <laughs> Thanks. sound of Thanks, Duncan, Duncan Alexander. Hello, Duncan. Hello. Uh, good, excellent. Everybody have a nice midweek, you know, uh, vomiting incidents aside. Aside, yeah, yeah, I've had a good week. I've spent quite a lot of time at West Ham this week. Ooh, right. Mm. Team of the moment, West Ham. I know, they're all smiley and everything. Right. They, of course, weren't involved in, in the big midweek matches, the first ever midweek fifth round of the FA Cup, which saw all sorts of big stories. Liverpool losing again. Newcastle scoring goals and reaching the quarterfinals for the first time in 14 years. Also scoring goals... David McGoldrick. Mm. Mm. Uh, While the Spurs meltdown continued. Have you seen the quarterfinal draw? Are you excited, Natalie? Are you excited? You are about the FA Cup, aren't you? Excited. I like it. Yeah, of course. Yeah, I am. Nice. Uh, Do you like the quarterfinal draw? Yeah, I think there are some interesting fixtures. Okay. Yeah, like Newcastle, Man City. I think that it's is be exciting. Good, yeah. yeah. Uh, also, Sheffield United, Arsenal. I no. think the the <laughs> the thing from it is, I guess, the big teams have been kept apart, so we could mm. be on for a, a grandstand semi final. We're close to seeing if Sheffield United can play a midweek semi final at home, like they did in the uh, when when Saturday comes Sean Bean film. Oh, is, is that right? Which is not a thing, but there you go. Right, OK. Uh, Leicester, uh, the, the other two uh, quarterfinals, Leicester taking on Chelsea and Norwich will be up against the winner of Thursday night's clash between Man United and Derby. So there's that. Where would you like to start, Lindsay? Is it at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium? I think so. I think that's where we should begin. Tim Krull gets away with what he can to get into the mind of the penalty taker. Fernandez for Tottenham, oh, it's a poor penalty! And Norwich City, for the first time in 28 years, are into the quarterfinals of the FA Cup. Siri defined Spursy. Tottenham Hotspur going down to another 3-2 loss, albeit this one on penalties. A match that ended with victorious keeper uh, Tim Krull sprinting off to be with the fans and Eric Dyer doing much the same. Uh, <laughs> Should we begin with, with Tim Krul and his his, his mm. penalty-saving heroics? Yeah. I mean, people had spotted before the penalty shootout had started that obviously he was the man that was brought on by Van Gaal at the 2014 World Cup before the Dutch penalty shootout because, again, was it against Costa Rica? I believe so. Yeah. Because he's an expert and he showed us why he's an expert. I mean, he's how, how is he an expert? Well, I think he's an expert in putting off opposition players. There's a lot of clapping his hands, coming out of his box, you know, sort of chatting to them. Um, he also had uh, the expected direction of penalty from Tottenham penalty takers written and stuck onto his water bottle. So that meant that after every penalty, he was walking around the side of the goal to look at his water bottle, which again is a kind of gamesmanship That's... angle. 
And how how faithfully did the notes on his water bottle mirror the? Well, the I couldn't actually read the water bottle, but okay. he um he did dive the right way. I think on nearly all of the penitent. One of them he didn't, but most of them he did. Mm. Um, the only thing that you can say, a lot of people are like, "Wow, look at what he's done with his water bottle." But this is pretty standard. You know, all keepers will will work out in the week who they're going to face likely in a penalty and where the penalty is going to go. So it's not like revolutionary, but. You know, it helps. The bottle was a nice touch. I have to say that wasn't the greatest uh, penalty-saving exploit of the week because Daniel Batts, yet of FC Saarbrücken, saved four penalties this week. The first goalkeeper to do so in a Pokal shootout. That's the German Cup in um, FC Saarbrücken. The German fourth division sides a victorious clash with Fortuna Dusseldorf. He'd also saved a spot kick during the game as well. It's good to see Batts doing good stuff at this tricky time as well, isn't it? So why? Well, you know, they started the coronavirus. No, they didn't. I thought it was... Was that bats? <laughs> yeah, it came, came from a bat. Oh, yeah. Okay. I knew as soon as it went to penalties, by the way, that Tim Krull would produce these heroics. I've interviewed him after saving penalties before, and it's like you've said, the studiousness that he puts into it. This isn't by fluke. I think we should just say that, that he, he loves that moment. And did you see his body just lift as soon as it went to penalties? I thought that he was like, cometh the time, cometh yeah. cruel. You know, right. he, he very much moment, was ready. My yeah. perfect well, moment. Sub-editors across the land as well probably thinking, yeah. cruel, penalty shootout. To work with we should here. point out how bad uh, Jose Mourinho's penalty record is as well. Yes. He's now lost eight of his nine penalty shootouts as a manager, which is... And all seven of the ones that his English clubs have been involved yeah. in. Um, and he looked particularly uh, underwhelmed during the chat. But, you know, the, the Norwich chat was quite quick. They were like, right, you take one, you take one. We've got Tim and Girl. This is going to be good. Whereas Spurs seemed to take an eternity to decide and Mourinho didn't look... Uh, effervescent as he was choosing players mm. well we mentioned uh, Eric Dyer as well who's been the big storyline on Thursday morning very ugly finale to the game uh, as he leapt into the stands and basically seemed to chase down a supporter to row 20 before being kind of restrained and told to calm down I mean he did well climbing over all the rows of seats in football boots <laughs> because we've all done that and it's quite a tricky you know it's like walking like a horse isn't it to really trot but right uh, Daniel Henry says, what What are the panel's thoughts on the dire incident? Mourinho's stoic defence of his player is admirable, but can the club do the same? Daniel Storey, meanwhile, pointing out that the last time an Eric launched himself into a crowd, his team won the double the next season, off to put a fiver on Dyer, scoring the winner in the cup final next May, says Daniel Lols. We still don't know exactly what happened, but extraordinary succession of... Uh, fans uh, phone videos of it uh, of seeing him clambering up with various commentaries of astounded supporters going Eric Eric what are you doing yeah a new one today actually which is really graphic yeah it's amazing seeing all these different angles I mean imagine we'd had these back in 1995 with the Eric Cantona thing we might have uh, debunked the line a bit more quickly when uh uh, Matthew Simmons claimed that he said off 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 it's an early bath for you Mr Cantona narrator that wasn't actually what he said uh, we're not entirely clear yet on, on why or what provoked his Particularly his anger. slow yeah. reaction from the stewards as well. Right? Dyer climbs over the yes. advertising hoardings and they just kind of look at him and it's like, it's like they're programmed to only stop people going the other way. It's like, when, you know, <laughs> yeah. when you a ratchet, they're like, well, you can go that way, that's fine. <laughs> no, but I, I think we shouldn't be... Okay, I'm going to be careful with the words here. Uh, we shouldn't be so extremely harsh on Eric uh, because... He's a Spurs player, of course, we know that, but he's a, he's a brother, he's a son, he's a friend, and he, he just lost the match uh, in this non... 
ideal way penalty shoots always uh, gets with the nerves and he reacted of course it's not the, the the best reaction we're not applauding it but when it involves family I, I don't know I don't know if we should be that harsh on mm. him yeah honestly. it was supposedly to defend his brother yes. wasn't it well we still don't know exactly what happened of course so perhaps we'll move on for the moment and just riff generally on Spurs's pain three defeats in a row before this game out of the cup to Norwich here despite taking the lead Mourinho's reaction disappointing if you're a Spurs fan I think you're starting to wonder where is the resolve in this manager where's it gone I think Mourinho's been showing this for some time but the excuses he comes up with for players yes. uh, I just think it's ridiculous this interview that he actually did with Emma Saunders who's often on this podcast um, w- was blaming the schedule and the fact that players were really tired in fact he he singled out Harry Winks and said you know he's played 11 or 12 games in a row now he was absolutely spent along those lines and I want to revert Mourinho to Connor Cody at Wolves you know they started their campaign everyone knows I'm a Wolves fan but it started in July you know how many matches they played Connor Cody's not missed a single minute I just cannot buy this yeah Wolves is the, is the team with the, the, the highest amount of matches and, and the, the fewest players used but I think what annoys me what's been annoying me about Mourinho is that when you hear an interview and in our case when you interview a, a manager on his level you expect to hear about football not uh, everything around football, not only injuries. I know we all know he has problems, but we want to hear what a manager uh, with his uh, history, with his ideas, offers as solutions. And I don't hear that. He's also said this morning that um, the board need to decide, do they want to win at Burnley or do they want to try and beat Leipzig? Because he can't do both. Which, which is ridiculous. For, you know, for a man being paid £15 million. Pounds a year. I know the squad is, is, is you know struggling with injuries, but... I mean, I think Tottenham have got themselves into a very difficult situation here because they've, you know, they, everyone knows they haven't bought players in for a long time. The squad does need surgery. Is Mourinho the best man to do it? He's also the man, you know, they've had managers like Pochettino who's kind of happy to put up with the direction the club was going in. Mourinho's not. He, you know, he'll say what he, he likes. And, it, you know, if he doesn't get his way in the summer... Um, he's not going to be quiet and about does, it. Does that sort of attitude inspire? You know, are we getting to a stage now where Spurs players know they've got a get out? You know, as many excuses that are given, suddenly I don't think that that gets the maximum in terms of performance out of players. I think they think, oh, well, you know, he's got our back and we already know that we've got an excuse lined up. Actually, there shouldn't be any of that. There should be sort of a motivating factor here to get them out to go above and beyond. Yes, you're depleted. Yes, there's injuries, key ones, but go out there and and crack on. There's also the new ground issue as well, I think. You know, we go back a year and there was a lot of, well, once we get to the new ground and away from Wembley, everything will fall into place. But we saw with Arsenal, you know, they moved, they left Highbury, they moved to the Emirates. It took them a long time to kind of process that change. It is a big change. And I think, you know, if they mess this summer up, it could be a, a bad few years for Tottenham. But, right. for, but for now, I don't see the game plan. I don't see the game plan really discussed and I don't see that consistency one match after the other, even for two or three matches against Wolves, even though they lost, they, they showed something. They showed an, a clearer idea and you can see that for two, three matches in a row. So I, I would expect more from, from a manager like him. Okay. Away at Burnley this weekend. They are only two points off fifth. But if they do lose to the Clarets, Burnley would actually move past them in the league and very much in the hunt for possible Champions League places themselves on Deitch's side. Norwich, though, goes through to the quarterfinals. Uh, can they do a Wigan? As in, you know, win the cup and drop down oh, to the Norwich. championship. They famously, in 1985, won the League Cup and went down. So, oh, did they? Yeah. Okay. 
Not that famously, perhaps. Well, maybe not. Mm. The Milk Cup era, the best. Right. First time they've been in the quarterfinals since 1992. As we mentioned, they will be facing either Derby or Man United. Andrew Lang, meanwhile, says, could you ask Oily Sailor to provide any stats relative to Norwich's likelihood of staying up? It's admirable that they've managed to achieve some big results playing an attractive brand of football, unlike some teams. As a neutral, I'd like to see them survive. What do you think, Oily? Uh, well, the last team to have as bad a record as Norwich do after 28 games and not go down were Leicester in 2014-15, who actually had two points fewer than, than Norwich do at the moment. Um, and I believe Leicester stayed up and then had a reasonable season the next year. So um <laughs> not saying that Norwich are going to stay up and win the league next year. But I think, yeah, I think they are playing better than a lot of teams down there. Will this match inspire them? Who knows? But I think they've, they've still got a chance. They're away at Sheffield United this weekend. Be interesting to see what happens there. Next up, anyway, we're going to continue our cup recap uh, with the events at Stamford Bridge on Tuesday as Chelsea beat Liverpool 2-0. You're listening to The Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. Arnold's come to Barkley, Pedro right. Barkley drives straight down the middle. Barkley shots! Chelsea 2, Liverpool 0. Interesting game, this one, and much better from Chelsea absolutely and we saw some players that weren't being really used by Frank Lampard really showing that they have their value such as William who has his contract situation a bit uh, confused if not uh, almost decided it's very unlikely that he will stay at Chelsea unlikely yes it's Mm. very unlikely because he wants three years and the club wants to offer two so they 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 basically are, are not uh, agreeing on a on a contract. But we saw Pedro in a good form and, of course, Kepa with the triple yeah, save. Kepa came back, mm. yeah. yeah. See, I, I know a lot was made about Billy Gilmore in this. Yes. I felt that the other narrative was between the posts at both ends. Right. Mm. So it was the return of Kepa and him cementing potentially his place for this weekend now and Caballero being reduced back to the bench, you would think, because it was a brilliant performance. Olivier Giroud came out afterwards as well and said that he thought Kepa deserved to be man of the match not Gilmore and then for Liverpool Adrian not Alisson and you'd think that Adrian that's it now you don't think that he's going to get much more minutes Ooh, also from your file of Chelsea players getting a rare look in Ross Barkley was Mm. that his greatest moment yet for Chelsea? Maybe, yes. <laughs> I, I thought it was interesting what he said after the match about scoring against uh, Liverpool, mm. being uh, an ex-Everton uh, player. Uh, yeah, it was good, but I'm, I can't get 100% convinced by, by Ross Barkley. Mm. I, I know he, he has uh, talent and potential, but I, I don't see him showing consistency. I've never seen Ross Buckley have a bad game. I've never really seen him have a good game either. He's kind of just there. Yeah, he's kind of the most 7 out of 10 player, I would How how many out of 10 would you give (laughs) Billy Gilmore, who Lindsay's busy stripping of man of the match there? Uh, No, I don't want to strip him of it. He was very good. (laughs) He was very good. (laughs) Olivier Giroud stripped him of it, not me. He, um, He looks also like he's about to drop the most fire collection of World War One poetry of the year as well. Like, Would you say? Yeah, he's got a very kind of, you know, Siegfried Sassoon vibe, which I like. Right. Good morning, good morning. <laughs> but yeah, he was brilliant, you know, but I mean, it's possibly not the, the game to judge him in because Liverpool's midfield was once again... Well, Fabinho was there. Fabinho How silly was, did he make oh, Fabinho look? Fabinho was poor, really poor in this match. But was it, was it just because he was crushed by this marauding 18-year-old Scott? 
He hasn't been himself since he got back from injury in January. He he hasn't reached his form. And I think uh, Fabinho's game was always very physical. I don't know if it's uh, necessarily re related to that, uh, if he's not on his peak in terms of physicality. But you can see the difference. And he, he, he really went for the tackles before and he was a strong presence in, in the midfield. And, and we don't see that mm. recently. You can only think that the Liverpool squad have got a lot of bets on uh, Jordan Henderson being player of the season because they seem to be desperate to kind of you know convince people that he is the key man because since he's been injured they've not looked as good well yeah since his injury they have suddenly slumped also since they went off for that two week break do you remember when they uh, sent out another team a kind of shop mm -hmm. brand Liverpool for the previous round of the FA Cup they've had one unconvincing win against Norwich and just about got past West Ham and lost to Atletico Madrid, Watford and Chelsea. Three away defeats in a row. They had made seven changes here. How much does this defeat mean for Liverpool and Klopp? I don't think it means too much. They've got other things going on. I think, I think there's probably bigger fish to fry. I think Liverpool fans were a bit annoyed because, you know, now that the unbeaten record for the season had gone at the weekend, then they're so far ahead in the league that they might as well try and win the FA Cup and I think you know obviously Adrian's been given this chance in the Cups but Alisson I think if Alisson had played they'd have won that much mm. um, so. but also you think that if they really wanted to win it then Salah, Firmino, Trent Alexander-Arnold we were all at the, the Watford-Liverpool match I thought Alexander-Arnold looked spent I thought that he looked very very tired mm. and needed a rest so I can understand why he was rested but if you are taking the key players out you are sending the sign that this isn't something that's top of the priority list. Right. Connor Cody doesn't get rested. No, he doesn't. Indeed. What a week for Arsenal and Manchester United fans, though. You know, the, the Invincibles record safe, the trebles safe. You know, there you go. Also in the fifth round, David McGoldrick scored his first of the season and Billy Sharp got another in extra time as Sheffield United beat Reading 2-1. They'll host Arsenal, who won 2-0 at Portsmouth on Monday night. Man City, the holders, saw off Sheffield Wednesday. City had 80% possession, 20 shots, but only the one goal, and that after keeper Joe Wildsmith failed to control a shot from Sergio Aguero. Next up, Man City will face the highest-scoring team in the competition, who are, checks notes, Newcastle. That's right. <laughs> the Magpies, who after putting three past Oxford United in the previous round, uh, scored another three goals past championship leaders West Brom at the Hawthorns on Tuesday in front of 5,000 delirious fans who journeyed down with inflatable toys from Tyneside. Amongst them, an author of a very vivid piece recounting the journey on The Athletic this week, was George Corkin, who joins us now. George, hello. Hello. Hi, George. Uh, I really enjoyed your, your piece describing this uh, epic, this odyssey uh, uh, from Newcastle all the way down to the Hawthorns. Tell me, uh, no goals in a month uh, and a terrible history in this competition, plus a day's travelling midweek. What on earth possessed 5,000 Newcastle fans to make this journey? Well, that's one of the great sort of eternal questions, really. I mean, I'd, I'd asked that question myself over very over the course of a sort of very long and drunken day. Not drunken for me, I should point out. But And it is that kind of blind faith, the the, the loyalty. Um, you know, it's a club that used to be famous for winning things and is now famous for precisely the opposite. And what do they have apart from turning up and sort of bearing witness? That sort of part of the appeal. I mean, it was a long day of drink and singing and songs and there's a lot of irony and there's a lot of self deprecation but there is still this extraordinary hardcore of support that believe in 
following their team wherever they go. And the same applies to Sunderland in the northeast as well. You know that for all that these clubs have been through, certainly in terms of not fulfilling their potential, there is still this sort of great hardcore of supporters who who go home and away. But I mean, you know, bearing in mind that sixty five years since Newcastle won a domestic trophy of any, of any sort, for five thousand to be going to West Brom. And back on a Tuesday night is pretty, pretty remarkable. Mm. They were rewarded, though. Three goals and a West Brom comeback, which made the finale extra thrilling as well. Daniel Story pointing out that Newcastle have actually scored more than a third of their goals this season in the FA Cup. That's remarkable. Uh, Almiron with a brace and San Maximo setting him up. Yes, I mean, I, th- I suppose we should point out they've, they've also had a couple of extra games in the cup because they were a- unable to get past League One opposition at the first time of asking. It's been a struggle. I mean, it's not. it hasn't been... I mean, I still don't think it's a cup run. It started off as a cup limp and it's probably a cup hobble now. Um, but, and obviously now they've got Man City in the quarterfinals, but I think what I found so sort of pleasing as someone who's watched Newcastle sort of all my life is that what's been drained from the club over the last 13, 14 years is that sense of what's possible, the sense of optimism, the sense of starting a season thinking, could this be our year? I know that this is probably the case for lots of clubs around the country, but that certainly was how I was brought up, that third round day used to be the sort of the most exciting day of the year. And it's become the worst day of the year at Newcastle because, you know, until until um, until this season, they hadn't got beyond the fourth round um, for 14 years. And the club had talked about Cups not being a quote-unquote priority, um, which was, you know, which was criminal as far as I was concerned. Um, but finally, Newcastle's season is still alive. It's you know the last few seasons have been alive, but it's either been about staying up, and it's that grim sort of march to survival, or they've gone down, or they've been coming up from the championship. But for once, it's March, and the season is still alive in a positive way. And it is that kind of great reminder about what football actually used to be about and can still be about. Why not dream? Kevin Keegan talked about people dreaming about their football club and that's what you know that's what it should be like and on tuesday what it was like was uh, thousands of fans armed with inflatable dicks uh, in homage to the uh, newcastle supporter who had turned the previous round game the oxford united into a well a dick swinging contest in a in a very real sense uh, what, what do you think the prospects are george for the end of season now that you're scoring goals in that well i mean i've always thought that they'll that they'll be okay and i still hold on to that although obviously that you know the first half two two thirds of the season was sort of about getting results from performances in which they were awful I mean this is probably the worst team that I can sort of remember in terms of the way they play football it is horrific to watch they were eking out results and that was that was good that was good fun there were some kind of great moments but um, it's been awful and then suddenly certainly in the league performances and results has, have sort of been mirroring each other and it's, there's, there has been that sort of reckoning I think they'll be okay because I think they've got you know they've still got a sort of decent spirit I think there's still a chance that they can get a win from somewhere but it's it's pretty grim I mean what I hope is that the cup sort of lifts the league league form a little bit I mean I think I, th- I think they'll be okay but it's not going to be pretty here he is, Fairweather Freddy, supported United back when they were winning titles, switched to City when they came good. Oh, you're back in this weekend, Freddy? Um, well, Merseyside is technically only 45 minutes away from me house, so I thought that... The season isn't going how either team would have wanted it so far, but we reckon Manchester's still blue, so we're giving money back as cash if Man City beat Man United. 
Money back specials from Paddy Power. All markets on this match only. Pre-match singles only. £10 max cash refund. Online exclusive. No shop bets. T's and C's apply. 18 plus. BeGambleAware.org. On Spotify, smart speaker and podcast platforms everywhere, this is the Totally Football Show from Muddy Knees Media. Okay, then, listener, Premier League this weekend, match week 29. Liverpool will be hosting Bournemouth in the Saturday lunchtime kickoff. Later that day, there's a London derby as Arsenal host a possibly revitalised West Ham. Palace will be up against Watford, Sheffield United of Norwich, Saints, Newcastle, Wolves, Brighton, Burnley, Spurs. Duncan has some important content on that fixture. <laughs> uh, on Sunday, though... Chelsea face Everton in what would have been Carlo Ancelotti's big return to the bridge, except he's suspended. And there's the Manchester derby before Leicester and Aston Villa wrap things up on Monday evening. Manchester derby, Sunday at 4.30. Natalie, you're going along to this one for ESPN Brazil. Yes. Uh, what's your pre-game pitch? How are you going to sell this to Brazilian viewers who could be out sipping a caipirinha as they stroll down <laughs> the Calcidão at, at this point? This is a very interesting fixture, actually, for, for the Brazilian audience. Of course, there are many Brazilian Brazilian players involved, but uh, United has been more interesting lately, especially with Bruno Fernandes. I think he's a game changer for Mm. this fixture, definitely. And we have to talk about the recruitment because there were only a few signings for United, but they they, they have been showing to be spot on. Bruno Fernandes has been brilliant and United has been finding ways to play without their main uh, players, which is the most remarkable thing. And we've been talking about Solskjaer for so long, but him and his uh, coaching staff, they have been finding solutions without Rashford and without Pogba. And I think they can pull it off again. Uh, Of course, it's going to be a big challenge because Man City, uh, Pep Guardiola made it very clear that Premier League matches will be for improving the squad and they have Real Madrid in a couple of weeks uh, but yeah should be interesting so this is essentially a training exercise for, for Man City is it a preparation for, for well if we think back to Mantel the Carabao Lisa. Cup semi-final which we mentioned last week that he basically kind of um, tested the formation they played away at Real Madrid in that game mm-hmm. so you could see him possibly doing a similar thing here or maybe double bluffing Real Madrid yeah but I don't think anyone doubts how ambitious Man City and Pep Guardiola can be so it is a Manchester derby Mm. The weird thing with this fixture recently is that the, the away team is almost guaranteed yes. of winning. United has got a right? really good record away at um, mm-hmm. the Etihad. City won the last three in a row uh, at Old Trafford. If they win this one, it'll be the first time they've won four in a row uh, away at Old Trafford since 1931. That's a very long time. Man United, of course, do play on Thursday night, but have been on a remarkable run. They have. I mean, as impressive as Fernandez has been, I do think that it could be De Bruyne and him and who shines most in this match. Because mm. I think they're they're the game changers at the moment for these sides. Um, but De Bruyne, who's in doubt at the moment, having missed Man City's uh, a midweek clash because of a shoulder injury. Yeah, but I think they are doing everything within their power to get him back for this. And if he's not, I do think that gives the edge to Manchester United being at home as well. And, and I do think that they've managed, like Natalie, said to sort of find a way now of getting round teams whereas they they seem to panic a little bit more before and now I think the introduction of Fernandez has seen them just relax a little bit more on the ball um, and then if De Bruyne gets back for the Champions League that will be imperative I think for, for them yeah, there. I, I, would, I mean this is a Manchester derby as you say but I, I would imagine that Man City are prioritising if there is any doubt about his fitness him being there for yeah. Real Madrid. Yeah mm. I mean that, that will come first but if they can get him back. Well, of course, they've got an extra week before that happens. Yeah. They've got Arsenal yes. midweek coming up uh, after this weekend. 
uh, at home. I'd, I'd, More likely to rest him for that one, I'd have thought. Yeah, they, they have Arsenal midweek and then they have Burnley at home and then they have Real Madrid. Okay. Other Manchester derby related info, Duncan? Well, Aguero's got four goals at Old Trafford in the Premier League. The all-time away top scorer there is Steven Gerrard. We can probably envisage most of his. So Aguero can equal a pretty long-standing record. Let's hope he doesn't then go and, uh, you know, fondle the camera in a Stevie G style way. Don't did that, that upset you when he did, did that? Thought it was unnecessary, yeah. Didn't okay. like it. But, um, you know, I think Aguero they had a good game in the League Cup final, scored in midweek at Sheffield Wednesday. Whether he'll be rested for this, who knows. But he, uh, you know, he relishes Manchester derbies. Natalie, what are you most looking forward to? You've been to Old Trafford quite a few times, I imagine. Yes. What are you most looking forward to about this one? Have you been to Manchester derbies before? Yes, yes, a few. It's one of my favourite fixtures, actually. Is it? Yes, why, why yes, is that? I really like it. Uh, because it's a different rivalry. It's a rivalry that evolved in the, the most recent years uh, because Man City has been winning so much. So it's it's really good to to follow this uh, how this uh, fixture has progressed. Uh, five points separating the five teams between fourth and eighth with Man United right in the thick of that. So that's the Manchester derby and it's at 4.30 on Sunday afternoon. What time will that be in Brazil? It'll be like... Tw- 1.30. 1.30, yeah, lunchtime. Right. What kind of audience do you get for the Premier League in Brazil? Oh, it's huge. Yes, yeah. yes, it is. Uh, usually for uh, the Premier League in Brazil is broadcasted only on uh, closed TV, on pay TV. Right, ESPN, uh, yeah? Yes, yeah. ESPN and the Zone in okay. Brazil, yeah, a streaming service. And uh, it usually is the main, uh, the highest ratings among uh, paid channels. Oh, really? When you have a big uh, Premier League match, definitely. Yes. I'm always amazed how deep... Uh, Brazilian fans go with English football. There's a good Twitter account I follow called Championship Brazil, and it's these guys that basically just they're obsessed with the championship, and it's quite good. You seeing have whole city news come through. In yes, Brazil. you have whole city Brazil. You have uh, every team from the Premier League and the Championship. There's a, a a group of of big Brazilian fans who have like Twitter accounts. Right. They're very organized. What is it then about English football? Would you say could you could you sum it up? What what is the attraction of 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 football from this you know rain-swept faraway island? Money. Uh, <laughs> it's very it's very different for from Brazilian football because the pace is completely different and the high the the, the level of uh, of football and competitiveness. Uh, Brazilian league is very tight uh, despite Flamingo in the last year because they were just uh, so much better than the rest but usually it's closer uh, but I think for the wrong reasons because there's not enough organization or investment in Brazilian teams uh, but in, in England it's different they, they, they have a very romantic view of English football as the role model and how things should be and the, the, the level of the, the matches is beyond questions you know? Alright well, let's hope it lives up to it on Sunday, eh? Yes. Uh, earlier that day, they'll have been delighted over their breakfast by Chelsea Everton. Everton, who have not won at Stamford Bridge in over a quarter of a century, actually, not since November 1994. Oh, and they got him three right out. And he scored. He was virtually unmarked. And Paul Rideout scores for Everton, a goal made by Anders Limpart. A game which inaugurated, you know, was the, the Matthew Harding stand, the two-tier mm. terraces there. Glenn Hoddle was player manager for the for Chelsea back then. Duncan Ferguson was actually on the field for Everton with Joe Royal on the sidelines, and the game was decided. Uh, well, there was an extraordinary overhead kick from Dennis Wise, which hits the post, but it was Paul Rideout who scored the only goal of the game, set up by Anders Limpar's 
happy memories. All to the soundtrack. Paul Ryder. Yeah, Barry's. Mm. Paul Ryder. And uh, in case you're wondering, yes, Baby D, Let Me Be Your Fantasy was number one. Fast forward a quarter of a century, and uh, this will be, I presume he's still going to turn up, Ancelotti's first return to Stamford Bridge as a manager since Chelsea fired him in May 2011. That's remarkable. Mm. It's funny, I was looking back at Ancelotti's time at Chelsea. It was very... You know, two seasons. The first season was incredible. You know, they they obviously did the double. Their last eight games of oh nine ten and their first two of of twenty ten eleven, they were averaging four point five goals a game in the league, wow. which is mm-hmm. quite a lot. Um, and it was kind of like the the Mourinho team being set free. The same spine, Czech, Terry, Lampard, Drogba, but they were just playing this amazing attacking football. Front Maluda was really good, but then it all kind of went wrong that season. Ancelotti took Chelsea up to Anfield. Roy Hodgson's Liverpool, probably their only decent performance under Hodgson. They beat him 2 0. And I think, quite crucially, in the fabric of Premier League history, the person who scored both the goals was Fernando Torres. Fast forward a couple of months, transfer window. Chelsea spend £50 million on Torres. Uh, Liverpool then spend all that money on Andy Carroll. I don't think anyone came out of that whole episode with, uh, you know, very well. And then by the end of the season... Carroll and Torres maybe came out of it quite well. Yeah, they did all right. Yeah. Um, although, to be fair to Torres, he says it, he massively regrets it. You know, oh, it was he? the worst decision he ever made. So, um, but yeah, end of the season, Ancelotti gets the sack. Um despite having, you know, done a pretty good job. And that is why he will be right up for this one. I think he's going to get an edge over Lampard just with his his tactical experience. I think he'll he'll probably get um, a marginal win. In Although this it'll match. be big Duncan Ferguson who'll be calling the shots from the sidelines who had such a successful stint as interim manager for Everton. To what extent is Carlo allowed to can he, does he have to use hand or you know eyebrow signals or something from the stands or how are they allowed to communicate? There is modern technology now, James. Yeah, but where are you, you allowed can communicate to use via that? a phone. Yeah, they, well, they do. On the they communicate I think them. if it's a red card, you, yeah, you just wouldn't be allowed on the touchline. But, but I'm sure he can still definitely on half time. Okay, because sometimes you have bands where you're not even allowed to contact the, to to go into the dressing room. Yes, as far as I know, I right. don't know if uh, anything changed, but uh, but in Brazil, for example, you can't get in touch at all during the match or on halftime, anything. But as far as I know, during halftime, he, he can speak with, with his coaching staff. Good news. Okay. Everton haven't won three in a row against Chelsea, which if they win this game, they will have done. In Whatever. Terms. Since, Happy ah. Days was cancelled. Remember Happy Days? Yeah. With Franz? Monday. And you've got to wonder, if Chelsea loses this game, will Lampard have jumped the shark? Because possibly, you know, the cut win sort of papered over the cracks a nice bit. Nice reference. Yeah. Uh, there will be a lot of eyes as well on Calvert-Lewin for this one with England. Okay. Um, Gareth Southgate has big decisions to make soon about the Euros and everyone's saying that, you know, Calvert-Lewin it, and Tammy Abraham, quite a lot of people saying that it should be one of them. I think Calvert-Lewin's been the most informed, probably informed striker of the year, let alone English striker. So. Yep, three. And Gareth Southgate, he's literally everywhere. Honestly, <laughs> how many Gareth Southgates are there? I don't. I think there's only one Gareth Southgate according I'm to the England sure. fans. Last, I'm not uh, sure. I'm not sure. World Cup. Yeah. Um, you were saying that Chelsea were better on Tuesday against the other Merseyside club, but Everton are probably the team in format of these two, no? Yes, absolutely. It's been very entertaining to see Everton evolving under Carlo Ancelotti because you can see uh, his traces and. What his his idea for for Everton and especially with the with Calvert Lewin and Richarlison mm. because they completely changed the dynamics uh, up front. Uh, 
there was a fear that Richardson's form could drop because he got along with Marco Silva so well at Watford and afterwards in, in at Everton. But uh, he's been linking really, like, brilliantly with, with Calvert-Lewin. They're both uh, young, they're both quick, they're both good finishers, and they are very smart in using the spaces up front. And they get along really well uh, as friends. Have you so, spoken much to Richardson? Yes. Is he yes. a nice chap? He, he, oh, he's great. Is he? Oh, my God. He's he's he has this quality of being uh, very naive. So oh. when you're a big football player, you're usually surrounded by so many people who say uh, how you should act or how you should behave or what you should say. Richardson doesn't have that. He's very he's a naive. He's uh, like pure heart and and he's a really cool guy. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. Anyway, there you go. That's Chelsea Everton. Call it at your peril, because it's a tight one, that. Liverpool, meanwhile, will be hosting Bournemouth. That's the Saturday lunchtime game. Liverpool's record against Bournemouth, is it good? Well, put it this way. They have beaten them by at least three goals in all of their last five meetings. It's been 17-0 on aggregate. um, If they do it again this time, so they did it for six games in a row, it's only happened once before in top flight history, and that was Manchester City against Wolves. Um, you might remember this, Lindsay. It was in between 1902 and 1905. I might remember. <laughs> yeah. uh, Charlie Boyle writes in. He says, has the little letter boy from Donegal placed a curse on Liverpool? Uh, you recall that said letter yes. writer had asked uh, Klopp to stop winning so much and lose a few games. There was talk about that at Vicarage Road. I heard people saying, do you think, do you think it's that young kid? <laughs> but it's interesting, up. isn't it? You know? yeah. Who well, could rule it out? Is Minamino the new Espria? There's another angle. Right. <laughs> Um, in terms of this actual game, these are the two teams this season in the Premier League with the fewest tactical fouls. So fans of Corinthian football might want to tune into this one. Right. And Bournemouth, they absolutely need points. They're still facing Wolves, United, Spurs, Leicester City and Everton. Wow. And they're, they're fighting, obviously, against relegation. But they got points. They got a point from Chelsea, a point from Arsenal. They beat United. So they have good performances against the big teams, but they dropped important points against uh, other teams who are fighting against relegation as well, like Norwich, Watford, West Ham. So it's it's a big fixture for them. Mm, in the bottom three now, on goal difference. Uh, Corinthian football, Duncan, just to kind of briefly rewind to that. Uh, Corinthian football, there wouldn't have been any tactical fouls because there weren't any fouls in those days. Is that right? Well, there were fouls. Well, there was no such thing as a foul, I thought, in the early days. You were allowed to, you know, kick lumps out of... It was a more lax time, that's okay. true. But I was thinking more of a kind of fairness. You know, these oh, aren't, these see, aren't right. teams... If you look at the two teams that commit the most tactical fouls in the Premier League, it's right. Arsenal, managed by former Manchester City They're system the manager. team... In terms of tactical fouls, right, in terms okay. of, you know, uh, when, when there's been a turnover... This is how you define it. So if there's been okay. an opposition turnover and you foul within a certain kind of time uh, in a certain bit of the pitch. Right. So Arsenal are top and City are second. You can kind of see the genesis there, I guess. Yeah. Um, but at the other end of the table, Liverpool bottom and Bournemouth second bottom. So, right. Um, I'd be interested to know if Wolves are the most fouled in those situations. Hold on, Maybe. I, I, don't, I haven't I got that to hand, so. but you know, we've I would all hazard got, a guess. Well, yeah. You know, <laughs> in South American tournaments, there's no such thing as tactical falls there's just falls okay yes because Libertadores everybody's just there just killing themselves on the pitch yeah alright nice <laughs> and let's not forget Liverpool's still unbeaten on standard calendar days for over a year so there's, there's that fair point Duncan <laughs> after this uh, we're going to be looking at the situation for Bournemouth's relegation rivals 
Listeners, as you well know, this is the part of the show when you'd usually hear an advert for something like razors, beer, mattresses, little blue pills, or quite possibly even something to do with gambling. Now, these adverts mean, of course, that we can keep giving you this show for free. So what would be really helpful for us is if you can please head on over to thetotallyfootballshow.com slash win slash survey. There you will indeed find a survey that we've put together with our friends at Audioboom, and it's all about the sort of things you like so that we can get the right companies advertising to you. It'll take five minutes and we won't share your data with anyone. We just need an email address to let you know if you're one of the lucky winners of a £50 Amazon voucher. So help us to help you over at thetotallyfootballshow.com slash win slash survey. You could even do it while you listen to this next bit. On Spotify, smart speaker and podcast platforms everywhere, this is the Totally Football Show from Muddy Knees Media. All Serie A matches from now till April the 3rd, Italy fans, are going to be behind closed doors, so don't try going to them. That's the latest position from the Italian authorities. As the number of coronavirus cases there climbs, you can hear more about the confusion uh, surrounding Italy's league programme and the authorities' response to the crisis from James Horncastle in Tuesday's Totally Football Show. Also out on Tuesday was Tony Scottish Football Show, where there's a lot of chat about Stephen Gerrard and uh, his future with Rangers. Tony Football League Show, uh, which was out yesterday, but still very much fresh, uh, discussing reports that Dortmund are looking to collect yet another of football's most promising teenagers. In this case, Birmingham's Jude Bellingham. Uh, Build, the German paper, reporting a fee of £30 million. Lindsay, you, mm. you know a fair bit about Bellingham, don't you? I do. I've watched him quite a few times this season for Birmingham. I watched him in the Cardiff City match when I thought that he was head and shoulders the best player on the pitch. He's this 16, is, yeah. This is a 16-year-old. I was going to say, he doesn't even get the right to a professional contract wow. until June when he turns 17. He's also from a place called Stourbridge, which is where my grandma was from. Right. Um, which is in the West that Midlands. Price just keeps climbing. <laughs> <laughs> what, what, um, what kind of player is he? He has got everything, I think. He's got the potential. Technically, he's very, very good. And right. that, that's the thing that shines in the championship. Right. I think he would be an even better player in the Premier League. Okay, because in the championship, you've got that operate? hustle and bustle. At midfield, he's right. a midfielder. Um, so he's, he's got brilliant physical presence, even mm. though that's going to grow because obviously at 16, he's still got developing to do there. Um, he doesn't lose possession much. That's the thing that I've noticed about him. And that's why I think if he if he actually made that step up and joined a Premier League team, he'd do so well because they tend to get a little bit more time on the ball. He's just got confidence and maturity for a 16-year-old. He's studying sociology at the moment for A-levels. He should be studying German, to be honest, shouldn't he? <laughs> Potentially, with yeah. Dortmund. You, you could see Sancho coming to the Premier League and maybe someone like him going to Dortmund. But Manchester United want him. Wolves have expressed an interest for a long time, but I think that he's going to be priced out of their market soon. Although coming from Starbridge, the reason I mentioned that is could he possibly have any Wolves allegiances? Because a lot of people in Starbridge would support Wolves unless he's just a diehard Birmingham fan because he's been with them through their academy. This is an innocent question. Do, Do players still join clubs because they actually support them, do you think? I think so. 
I think there's you're you're grimacing, Duncan, but I think there is well, there's we'll got to be something in your early career to play for your hometown right, so, club. Right. So I on. think that was the case back in the day. I think Alan Shearer famously chose Newcastle over Manchester United because he wanted to be the number nine at Newcastle. But I think these days kids growing up don't support clubs to the same extent as they did back in those days. So I don't think they've got as much. Jack loyalty. Grealish is an example of someone. Yeah, but he's going to move in the summer, isn't he? Yeah, but he's already played. <laughs> well, we'll see and because well Jaden Sancho grew up as a Chelsea fan, but. Let's see if he joins Chelsea this summer over potentially better teams or better options. All right. Uh, Now, down the bottom end, Norwich are six points from safety. The next five teams, Brighton, West Ham, Watford, and inside the bottom three, Bournemouth and Villa, are separated by just two points. Wow, that's dramatic, isn't it? Uh, Amongst them, as I say, West Ham, who've got a London derby against Arsenal. Lindsay, you spent most of the week... I have. They've got two London derbies coming up. So they've got Arsenal this weekend. Uh Then in two more weekends time, they've got Spurs, uh, both away. Right. Um, You think, looking at these fixtures, so the next three are Arsenal, Wolves and then Spurs. You think they need at least three or four points to be able to remain in contention to fight off relegation. It, It just feels, looking around all the teams around them, everything's getting rather close. And if you're a West Ham fan, you probably want to see at least one win from those. Right. Well, they've lost their last five games... Uh, on the road in the Premier League. But what are their chances of getting three points here against an Arsenal team who kind of defy expectations? That's kind of what they do. Well, they're the new invincibles, aren't they, Arsenal? Because they're on the longest unbeaten run in the Premier League. Is that right? Yeah. Um, And they haven't lost back-to-back home derbies in the Premier League since uh, Twitter launched, which was a little while ago. Okay. They will be without the services of uh, uh, Lucas Torreira, unfortunately. Mm. He fractured his ankle in in the uh, clash with... Portsmouth on Monday night. Yes. Uh, mm. um, I think Arsenal will be too strong for them, to be honest. They're, I do. I think they've got more of week. a chance against Spurs. They tend to, West Ham, really, they, they have this rivalry. They tend to pr- produce really great performances against Spurs. And given the momentum that's sort of shifting now for Mourinho, you'd think mm. that by the time that comes round, they could they potentially... as well, didn't they? Yeah, the they could potentially get another win. But momentum for West Ham as well. Two great performances under Moyes, one of which didn't, you know, they didn't get the result, but it was still a fine performance against Liverpool. And then this week, last weekend... And that's what they'll be judged on. It will be more about the performance factor. I think Arsenal will have too much, but as long as they produce the performance, and there's a potential they could get a point from this game, but I can't see them winning. Um, Aubameyang could get to 50 goals in his 75th Premier League game, which is a pretty good rate. I worked out how long it would take uh, Joe Ellington at the same rate to reach 50 goals in the Premier League, and it's 1,400 matches, um, which is 37 (laughs) seasons. Now, he might stay at Newcastle that long. Um, I suspect not. 37 seasons. Wow. Um, yeah, I, I think with um, with West Ham, I think Fornals, who I've spent some time with this week, uh, because it's World Book Day, uh, West Ham went into a primary school. I was there doing a feature with them yesterday and, oh. and Fornals was one of the players. I really like him. Um, what book get, did they do? Are they, football Schools is a book Oh. A book series that an, an author called Alex Bellum has got mm. out and they've got an illustrator and they went into the school and they were getting the kids to choose the best animal for different positions right. um, and really flummoxed the illustrator when one of the kids put their hand up and said chameleon for a winger. Right, that's <laughs> nice. Could, that's good. Become invisible yeah. down the wing. I love kids' imaginations. It's brilliant. So mm. uh, for Niles, he really enjoyed that. I was I was asking him about about how the squad are feeling at the moment, um, and I, I he actually admitted that Jared Bowen's had a real effect on the team, and that that really has given them all a lift. But uh, after uh, last uh, last match from West Ham, uh, David Moyes mentioned that 
we can't look at him as a savior. Mm. Uh, of course, he he has an effect, but I was. It's been taking too long for West Ham actually to to show some response. Finally, we we are seeing some some uh, good performances, but in terms of results, because that's what they need right now, just two wins under David Moyes, uh, two draws and and five losses. Let's hope that Jared Bowen can bring that extra something to it. And let's not forget David Moyes' historically bad record away at Big Four teams. As a manager, he's never won away at a Big Four team. Even he's been a manager of a Big Four team during that spell. So, um, yeah. Did you happen to be at the press conference recently? I wasn't there, but I heard about it where they invited the press for lunch afterwards with Moyes. And what happened? Nice little touch. They just oh, had that's a, interesting. Yeah, they just had had lunch and invited them in. And I thought, damn, why did I miss that day? Mm. Nice upbeat note to what has been a pretty depressing chat about West Ham. I was all up with their chances <laughs> of getting something at the Emirates. But, uh, well, well, we'll see. Crystal Palace, meantime, taking on Watford. Watford's confidence sky high, Natalie, after ending Liverpool's 44-game unbeaten run. Although they will be without Jared Deolifeu for the rest of the season. Yeah. Mm. Terrible news. But if there is a match to, to give momentum to Watford, is beating Liverpool, of course. Right, so, yeah. so it's going to be interesting to see if they, they can keep up with that. Uh, ben Foster, after the match, mentioned that the players had a, a real, honest, uh, straight-on talk about what was happening at Watford. So besides uh, the very organised way that they played against uh, Liverpool, there was that happening, the, the change of mood before the match as well. Uh, but regarding the organization, uh, I, I want to see how Watford will perform offensively because they still own the, the, the one of the worst uh, offensive records of the league. And Crystal Palace doesn't give away that much space right. uh, as Liverpool uh, strangely did. Palace's attack isn't very good. Watford looks like it's not that good, but they've got the biggest differential between goals and expected goals in the league this season. So, Which means that they should have scored loads more goals. They should, on average, about scored about 36. They've, they've scored 27. And I think we saw against Liverpool, they were pretty clinical against Liverpool yeah. from some good chances, but... Um, Maybe this is the start of them sort of clicking back into into average. Perhaps. Also relating to the relegation battle, Brighton's trip to Molyneux to face Wolves. Lindsay? I'm going to have a cautionary note about this one before us Wolves fans get too carried away thinking, you know, <laughs> it's a straightforward three points. Because it was a similar position for Brighton last year under Chris Hewton at the time that they came to Molyneux. And it was a nil-nil draw. And I think that Brighton are going to be a difficult team to break down for this one. Graham Potter will probably revert to the back three that they played against Sheffield United. And we struggle, I think, against teams and they start to to line up like that against us. However, I think um, the momentum, if we're going to use that word, and the confidence around the team at the moment could see Wolves just narrowly get through this one. But I don't think it's going to be a 3-0. Fans of characters might remember that... Characters, just characters. Just general characters, (laughs) like in a film. No, you know, letters. Oh, right, sorry, right, yeah. Might remember this is the longest fixture in Top Flight history, Wolverhampton Wanderers versus Brighton and Hove Albion. 43 characters. And in the reverse fixture on the South Coast this season... The, the starting 11s made 43 touches in the opposition box, which I thought was a lovely tribute. (laughs) They marry up lovely. Mm. How on earth would you... Yeah, yeah. Okay. yeah. But so there's there's never been a fixture in top flight football with more letters involved in the two teams' names. Yeah, 
than this. No. But Brighton hasn't won in 2020. That's which true, is, yeah, yeah. Which is remarkable. But they picked up important points, Chelsea, Sheffield United. Uh, but they, they, they should have won against the teams that are fighting against relegation and they didn't. Like West Ham, Watford, Aston Villa, they lost to Bournemouth. So things mm. are complicated there. I, I would like to see uh, Graham Potter uh, spend one more season in the Why, Premier Natalie? League. I think he has very interesting and innovative uh, ideas. Like what? Um, I like his methodology, mm-hmm. and uh, I like that he uh, he got to Brighton and he immediately tried to change the mindset and change the way that they were playing. Uh, they they had a very not so efficient uh, way of playing last season. They right. he tr- he tried to make it a little bit more appealing. It it doesn't work all the time, of course. Uh, but but I, I like I like his ideas. Potter, when he was at Ostersunds, was famous for getting the team to do ballet and I think probably go off for survival weekends, I hope, in the Arctic Circle. There doesn't seem to be much of that, disappointingly, at Brighton. There is still that influence with the arts there, um, which he which he had at Ostersunds as oh. well. I went down and did a piece with Billy Reed as assistant manager and right. he's been starring in a, in a feature film. Who um, has? Billy Reed. Is he what feature film? It's not out yet. It's um, it's a young filmmaker down in Brighton who's tipped to be the next Spielberg or equivalent. And he's yeah, he's in one about a woman crossing the channel and he's playing a pub landlord. And I went and did a piece down there. It all says Spielberg. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, read the articles. But uh, what I would say is that there is stuff around the team behind the scenes that gets worked on in terms of mentality and how they can release from football and how they can have distractions. And I think they are really big on that right. and getting the team and taking them away. I think things are happening, but we perhaps just don't hear about it as much. That is Brighton's clash with Wolves at Molyneux. Uh, wrapping the rest of the weekend up, you've got Burnley against Spurs. That's Saturday tea time. Duncan, you promised us red-hot claret content. Well, red-hot might be pushing it. I had a look at shots that players are taking. Shots? Like, yeah, and XG. So uh-huh. I had a look at every player who's had a, a shot of 0.1 or, or lower, so 10% chance of scoring and lower. So fairly low-quality shots, right? So real... Speculative shots, yeah. yeah. Um, and looking at the difference. So, But Burnley have got the player, Dwight McNeil, has had 33 shots this season and all of them have been 0.1 on XG or less. And so has he scored with any He's scored a couple, so okay. he's doing all right. Um, and Chris Wood is the complete reverse. He's uh, only 36% of his chances, the shots that he's had, have been uh, 0.1 or less. So he's basically having only having shots that are good and McNeil's only having shots that are kind of speculative. But it's kind of working out for them, so... Something for Burnley fans to ponder as mm. they watch their players trot out at Turf Moor. Someone right. was saying that Gareth Southgate's gone to watch Burnley, I think, as as much as anyone else this season. Um, they have a lot of English players. I wonder when Dwight McNeil will emerge on the radar because he, I think he's been one of the, the best players mm. for them this season. Very nice. Sheffield United are taking on Norwich. Blades didn't play last weekend. But it was a good weekend for their hopes of making it into a Champions League place with Chelsea and Man United drawing and Tottenham losing. Norwich, uh, as we mentioned before, have the worst away record in the division. Did we mention it? If we didn't, they do. Uh, And a tough uh, run of fixtures to come. Also, this weekend, Southampton taking on Newcastle. Newcastle are actually unbeaten in the last five meetings with Saints and are just five points above the relegation zone. So they're not completely out of that particular battle. And then on Monday, the round concludes with Leicester taking on Aston Villa. The Brian Little Classico. Right. Or also a rematch of that uh, League Cup semi-final thing, which saw Villa precipitate Leicester's kind of mm. recent slump by going past them into the, the final. 
The last time they won a league game at the King Power, though, was all the way back in January 2004. How do you see their prospects this time? You're a Villa fan, Natalie. Are they one of the teams who've caught your eye? Yes, definitely. Uh, actually, uh, I, I was talking about it during this week. Uh, after the, the Carabao Cup uh, final, I was thinking, I don't want Aston Villa to get relegated because uh, you were asking about uh, what is so appealing for, for Brazilian fans about English teams and Aston Villa is, is a good example of that. Very traditional. Uh, the stadium is amazing. Uh, I was mm. there a couple of times and I was always amazed. And the, the, the fan base and their their huge history, very traditional team. So, yeah, I don't want them to get relegated. And and you have Jack Grealish. You do. Yeah. Two points from safety. Villa right now. Leicester did come up with that 1-0 win in the Cup midweek against Birmingham, but they haven't been on a good run of form. Could Villa do it again? Possibly. I mean, I just hope it's a repeat of the second leg of the semi-final when at Villa Park, when it was basically James Madison against Grealish for 90 minutes, almost like two boxers <laughs> yeah. slugging it out. They were both, you know, in really good form that night. And yeah, yeah you know, it'd be good to see that again. Well, that's the Premier League weekend. Up next, uh, the most sizzling of content as we discuss Premier League mascots with Natalie. First of all, though, time to get some odds on the Premier League weekend with Paddy Power in conversation with producer Ben. Thank you, Jimbo. Hello, listeners. I've got Lee Price on the line from Paddy Power. Fancy that. Okay, Lee, um, lots of derbies this weekend. Um, Fourth Manchester derby of the season, in fact. Can Ole beat Pep for the third time this season? Well, if he does, I imagine that will pretty much cement his place as the Premier League's inaugural Hall of Fame inductee. And after the last week or so in football, anything can happen. Just not in this game. We make Manchester United 4-1 to to win a game of football at Old Trafford. That can't be right, can it? Then again, Man City do boast an expensively assembled squad, perhaps too expensively, and are the four to seven favourites to win this one. The draw itself is 10 to three, again a lengthy price, which makes the double chance, i.e. United not to lose, look interesting at 13 to 10. That's the Manchester derby. What about the Pat Nevin derby? Everton versus Chelsea at Stamford Bridge. Carlo Ancelotti going back there on Sunday, but he'll be watching from the stands will he see his Everton side win? (laughs) This could just be a major red flag regarding my own health, but I'd almost completely forgotten that Ancelotti managed Chelsea. Even saying it now doesn't feel quite right. Sitting in the stands against a former club is a bit like the managerial version of not celebrating scoring against them, but not much danger of that for big Carlo, we think. Chelsea are odds-on favourites to win this at 4-5. Everton are 16-5 and the draw, neatly, is 13-5. And finally, Wolves can move into the top four on Saturday. They might only be there for 24 hours. Are they going to finish the season in those Champions League places? Hmm, forget squeaky bum time. We're almost at permutation headache time. We do expect Wolves to win this weekend. They're 4-7 to beat Brighton, but don't expect them to crack the top four, this season at least. It's 7-2 they finished there, putting them sixth in our final league table, below Manchester United in fifth. We also offer odds on who will finish in the top five, as that's now a thing, apparently. They're 13-10 to 10 to do that and then be gutted when Man City win their appeal. You can find out these odds and more at paddypower.com or the Paddy Power app. Prices are accurate at the time of recording. It's over 18s only. Terms and conditions apply. And when the fun stops, stop. Philip Benton says, Question for Duncan. Aside from Liverpool, the average points per team this season seems particularly low. What's the lowest ever average per team in a Premier League season? Are we on course to break it? Interesting question. 
Yeah, I mean, obviously, there's the same number of points every season, so you can't average it over a whole division. No, but if one team, if you yes. take one team out of the mix, is yeah. everybody else doing really badly? So as, as it stands, uh, we're on the lowest points for a fourth-place team at this stage of the season since 2003-04, when really? it was Charlton Athletic on 43. We'll see another season where a team, uh, you know, unbeaten us on the top. I had a look at the average points per game for teams between second and sixth. Um, so the top six minus the leaders, essentially. This season, it's 1.7 points per game, which is pretty low. The average in the last uh, six seasons before this one is 1.93, with a couple of them over two points per game. So there is a real big drop-off. And that is why, essentially, you know, Burnley, Sheffield United are in with a shout of uh, Champions League right. football. Getting fewer points doesn't necessarily mean that it's a worse quality it could no. just mean that it's more competitive the league I yeah guess. Uh, it, you can't With judge you can't judge the quality of a league or season based on points per game because you know one man's apple is another man's tomato right nicely put Duncan Lindsay you're off to Wolves this week aren't you after you go past Villa I am I'm going via Villa I'm going to chat to Gilbert right. um, and then I'm off to the press conference and then the match Natalie excitingly you yes. have been uh, off researching a bit of colour for Brazilian <laughs> Uh, supporters of the Premier League. Yes. Uh, with the, the mascots, Premier yes. League mascots. Yes. Do you have mascots in the Brazilian hour in the big uh, Brazilian clubs? Some clubs have, others don't. Um, and it's, Do they it's, have people dressed as boilers? I suppose the climate wouldn't really favour that, would it? Yes, that's a problem, definitely. Mm. So Santos have uh, two uh, whales uh, as mascots and they are the they are big hit. Uh, but that's okay. about it. So you've been doing a piece on Premier League mascots. Yes, exactly. And was that really... Uh, exciting? Yes, it was because Who there are a lot. Who did you talk to? No, you can't speak to the mascots. Really? Because, you yeah, can. It, it kills the magic. Oh, uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, the primary school visit that I did this yeah? week, uh-huh. one of the questions for the kids was what's the most popular animal as a mascot? Right. Uh-huh. Do you know what it is? No. I Across don't know. the world of football? Racehorse. No. No, but good one, yeah. An eagle. An eagle oh, is okay. the most popular. Oh, you mean in terms of which clubs use? Yeah. Oh, yeah, loads. Yeah, because loads Benfica use an eagle. Yeah. and Lazio. Lazio. Yeah. And I think Salzburg as well, do they not? Yeah. yeah. Crystal Palace, of course. Oh, Palace. Palace yeah. have a live eagle, don't they? It flies from well, yeah, so, end to end. So Lazio, mate. Wow. And, uh, and Benfica. But so, okay, but so you didn't. So what was the thing that kind of struck, what was the thing you most liked about, about the, the, the mascots of the Premier League? Well, for television, it's very appealing because right. they're all cute and funny and, and they and have they good... racism stuff. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. But they have good background stories. Oh, like, do they? Yes, yes. Like origin stories, like they were hit by a. <laughs> no, no, not not that back, okay, not that right. long ago. Like Harry the Hornet is is the most famous one. Yeah, the, he's a bit with, naughty, isn't he? Yes, yes. Naughty. With the Zaha thing, he oh, yeah. he he was oh, investigated right, yeah. by the FA. Uh, but you have like uh, Arsenal's. Uh, Gunnar Soros. Yeah, legend. Yeah. Yes, yeah. he's a legend. Yeah. So in Brazil, people don't know that. I know who Dinosaur is. is a legend. You must know who that is. Yes. So yes. why didn't you talk to the person? Because that's like drawing the curtain back. Nobody wants to see yeah. the little man working yeah. the controls. <laughs> exactly. But, it, but he's a dinosaur. And he's, it, Lindsay. and he's super popular. It's, it's so funny that he has a Twitter account, yeah. that he tweets, that he posts pictures, casually you working. You could have him. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, no, but I, I recorded a piece with him. Oh, you did? Yes, yes, like him trying to steal my microphone okay. because they. His, his remembrance tape of Yeah, well, I was going to say that is one of the most haunting images I've ever seen <laughs> of the players lined around the tensor circle with their heads bowed and, and Gunnosaurus doing the same. It really brought home the, the horror. No, do you, but, and hmm. you have like Filbert from Leicester. I love him because okay. he, he watches the match 
uh, with the fans right. behind the goal, and he really cheers, and he he's like he's suffering, and he's involved, and he's frustrated, and that it's great image for TV. Okay, so, yeah. Have you seen any signs of, of clubs trying to take it up to the next level with technology? Uh, any kind of in terms of trying to a hologram or something. Well, yeah, just Not move yet, beyond you, you sound might effects. Be, you might be giving them a good idea now. Right. Mm. Yeah. Did you know, by the way, that we have one of the leading authorities on the world of mascots right here in this building? I I don't know about that. Nick Miller, who wrote the book, the seminal tome, uh, "Dance Like Everyone's Watching," really? which is yeah, yeah, which is all about the world of the mascots, the sometimes shadowy world. Of the mascots, so I don't know. We could maybe try and arrange a, you know, an interview. Absolutely, yeah, I would love that. Yeah, uh, Brazilian audiences would really dig. Yes, definitely. Nick Miller, fantastic. And and what are you up to this week, Duncan? I will be watching the Hilly Fielders Football Club on Sunday. Oh yeah, my son plays for, but they've now they're quite famous because who who's their star alumni? Eddie Nketiah, who's now oh wow banging oh. in the goals. So oh. so yeah, they uh, they're glamour now. Right. That's it. who are they playing, Duncan. Dulwich. Great. Away. All right. Uh, so, there you go. Whatever you're doing with your week, listener, better get on with it because it's Thursday already. But I hope uh, your week does conclude happily and you have a lovely weekend. That's it for this totally football show. So, many thanks, Natalie, for coming along today. Thank you. And to you, Lindsay. Thank you very much. And Duncan. Thank Look you. Good seeing you all again soon. Listener, thanks for being with us. We're back Monday. Have a great time till then. You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, a Muddy Knees Media production. For sales and advertising, please email sales at muddykneesmedia.com. Keep up to date with everything across our Totally Football network at The Totally Show on Twitter. And make sure you check out our brand new website too, thetotallyfootballshow.com. Hello, I'm Emma. And I'm Jeffers. And we're the Series Linked Podcast. Subscribe to our channel for all of the biggest TV interviews. And to stay on top of all the latest telly. It said Gervais sometimes fluffs his lines. Like I'd have left them in. It's a stunning place to shoot. I like put something up on Instagram and there's somebody a post going, Oh, you look at you, lazy eyed, you're ugly, aren't you? And on the way in upcoming episodes, we speak to Imelda Staunton, David Badil, Carl Pilkington, and many more. Just search for Series Linked. That's Series Linked. Muddy Knees Media.